Hi everyone, and welcome to Elite Rugby SNC podcast. First off, if you haven't already, sign up and join Elite Rugby SNC today. We provide you for your strength, conditioning, speed, and recovery needs. You can try before you buy, so try our seven-day, seven-dollar trial to get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. Also, sign up to our newsletter and receive free bonus content every single week. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. On today's episode, we discuss power training. We discuss why power training is vital for rugby athletes. We provide athletes and coaches plenty of knowledge and tips on how to train power. We discuss power training for the upper body as well, and we give insight on how to become powerful on the field. This was a great episode, and we hope you get a lot out of it. Enjoy. So, g'day, Ben. How are you today? Yeah, really well, thank you, Kieran. How are you? Yeah, I'm going well, thanks. It's a bit bit chillier this week down in Canberra. It's starting to feel like winter. Um, so, yeah, the summer is definitely gone. Yep. Um, yep. I'm uh, in Canberra, but in a different place today. Um, yeah, definitely feeling it. Hence why I've got a jacket on at the moment. Yeah, the heater has turned on. So in Canberra, as soon as Anzac Day finishes, it's the heater is on. <laughs> it, was de- <laughs> it was definitely working last night. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about how to become a powerful beast. So the first question off the bat is, why does being powerful matter for rugby? Yeah, really good question. I think um, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that size and strength is what creates a really good rugby player. Look, that's an important component, but your ability to produce force quickly, and sometimes it's a natural physiological thing, and sometimes it's an actual skill. You think of once you're in contact, leg drive, continuing to pump those legs, speed, jumping height, um, the ability to pass the ball quickly as well. So these all come under the characteristics of power. Yes, you do work on strength to help with that. Um, but power is not only a physiological thing, it's actually a skill and a coordination thing that you have to continue to work on to maximise how well you play football. What's your thoughts? Mm, I, yeah, totally agree. It's Everything in rugby happens so quickly, so you can't just be slow about it. You have to be fast. You have to react and then express that force and in the direction that you need to. So if it's like a ruck or you're fending someone or if it's a quick sidestep, you need to be fast to react. So it's it's definitely that that cognitive aspect, but how do then I apply force to then beat my defender or catch up to my defender? Or yeah, it's it's just hugely important for rugby. And I think that's what separates a lot of really world-class rugby players and just the different competitions of rugby is players are faster and more powerful. They're probably the same size, but they just express that force so much better than other rugby players. Yeah, totally agree. So what is power? We have talked about this on a previous episode, on episode nine of the podcast, so SNC terminology. So we defined it as the ability to generate high levels of force and apply that force as quickly as possible. So we need strength, but we need to express that strength quickly. And that's what power is. Yeah, and look, power comes into the several categories of that as well. I think there's more more your slower type of power, which is like your Olympic lifting. It's actually power, but it's more at a slower speed, really. 
compared to say sprinting uh, plyometric work um, and, and that type of work. So even within power, there's different uh, speeds and velocities and forces involved as well. And uh, like I keep saying, it's also a huge coordination thing just because you can uh, jump, do a great trap bar deadlift jump. Um, doesn't mean that you're good on one leg. So when it comes to expressing power on one leg, um, you need a fair bit of coordination and strength around your hips and ankles and knee joints to actually display that power that you've produced in the gym as well. Mm, totally. So when looking at super rugby, who comes into mind as being powerful and who stands out? Yeah, well, it really depends um, on your position. You can think some of the centres are particularly powerful. And when you think of centres, you think change of direction and once caught in contact that they can actually power their way through. So there's uh, several in the Australian comp at the moment. Uh, um, one that I've had a little bit to do with, Lynn Ikatau. Um, brilliant, um, over five, 10 metres. Great lateral stepping, brilliant in contact. And it's no supply, not surprise that I think um, his highest, I think, of snatch was 130 kilos. So he's, um, he's a bit of a beast there. So um, is he super strong? No. No, he's definitely not, but he can apply a lot of force really quickly. Um, but his overall absolute strength isn't up there with some of the other players. He just lights up really quickly, um, even with his passing as well. He's got exceptional speed and um, accuracy with that as well. Um, have you got some players that you think of? Yeah, I think Artie Sevilla, he's been around for so long now, but he has probably got the best leg drive in the game. You think you've tackled him. And he just keeps pumping those legs and gains more meters and sometimes scores that try. So he's done it for many, many years now. I think he's a really great example. And then one recently over the last few years has been Rob Valentini. I think he's highly underrated as a number eight or number six, depending where you play him. And just he's a devastating ball runner. And he's just a really good defender. He, you're never going to get an easy shot on him. And he's always going to put a hard shot on you. And that try he scored on last weekend against the Hurricanes, putting that kick through was just incredible as well. Um, to outrun a number 10, um, yeah, he's definitely going to remember that for a long time. And But also players like Sean McMahon, who's playing overseas in Japan. Him and Michael Hooper have always been people I thought are quite powerful in contact, defending or attacking. And just they're not always the biggest people on the field, but they just hit hard, they carry hard, and they keep pumping their legs every single time. Yeah, well, let's move probably to the front row and uh, our Tongan Thor, Daniela. Yeah, can't go past him. You think, of, you think of how powerful he is for a big guy. So this thing that separates him, like, yeah, he's strong, he can scrum well, but his, um, his speed and his ability to generate power is exceptional. So even for the big guys, if you are more powerful, you're actually more effective in contact. So if you can increase your five and 10 metre speed and your explosiveness... Um, it's not just strength alone. Um, it's the momentum that you take into contact that determines how good you are in contact. Mm. And these players have done so much skill work that they can express this force in rugby really effectively, and they, they do it week in, week out. Yeah. So how do athletes become powerful in the gym and then on the field? Yeah, I'm going to say practice. But uh, really what it is is, um, 
there's never truly a strength session and then there's never truly a power session. There's always blends, okay, all the time. So the old theory of like, I'll do strength and then I'll do a power phase. Well, if you do that, you get strong, but you're not getting powerful. You, you potentially are because you're increasing your absolute strength. So you, your power should increase. But if you just do a power phase, you're going to lose strength. So the best way to think of it, power is very similar to speed. You do that at the front end of your training sessions in the gym. Okay, so you warm up, get in there, do some type of power work. With, um, and that could be Olympic lifts, contrasting with uh, plyometric type of work, banded work. There's a plethora of activities that you can do, but that should be worked on all the time. So uh, when you look at speed and power, if you're not working on that every, say, 72 hours, you're actually going backwards. So the frequency um, of your sessions is really important. It's not necessarily the volume. You've got to do short, sharp exposures to it regularly. Um, and what's, what's your view? What really helps with power? It's just sort of like you said, it's, it's being consistent. It's having it in your training and consistently doing it, consistently doing it at maximal force as well, not just half-assing it. If, you, if you're doing it, you've got to do it right. You've got to do it with intent. You've got to move quickly. You've got to move powerfully. It's also building, so a topic that you brought up many, many times is building up their training vocabulary as well. So making sure it's just not the same power movements all the time. It's challenging the athlete, changing the directions, um, going off one leg, two leg, and just adding in some loaded jumps, but also their body weight as well, and just really challenging them. But they, they are earning the right to be challenged as well. You're not going to move on to another exercise if they haven't got this one down packed first. So yeah, I think building up their training vocabulary is, is extremely important in this space. Yeah. And it's also not just in the gym setting. You think every field warm-up session towards the back end of it is a time to work on power and speed within every speed session you, you're going to work on it as well so it's one of those nice things that you can do in the gym and on the field and you should be doing it as well mm. awesome so an old study now because it is over 10 years old but it's sort of like a a nice red wine that is aged quite well as we as i said before um Comey et also in 2011 had a study so developing maximal neuromuscular power um, they had some training considerations so we're just going to quickly go through all these so the first one off the bat is strength is the foundation for power yeah absolutely you think strength is a foundation for power strength endurance um yeah everything so uh basically you've got to improve your strength uh to give you the, those qualities that's uh, that's a known thing and yeah, that totally makes sense to me. Hopefully it makes sense to everyone out there as well. Totally. And you don't have to wait until they get a certain amount of strength in your athletes. You can start teaching those basic jumping and landing, absorbing and then applying force. Um, you might hear people say you need to squat a certain amount of weight before doing certain jumps. But if we're practicing and teaching good movement patterns, they can, you can do it straight away. Yeah, I guess if that was the case, you have to reach certain strength levels. People wouldn't be allowed to uh, do athletics when they were younger because they're sprinting and jumping. They yeah. wouldn't be allowed to do um, gymnastics as well because they're landing and jumping uh, without going to the gym. So I think we can rule that out that you need yeah. to reach certain strength levels because people do it anyway. So yeah. Yeah, let's not <laughs> even go there. Totally. Um, so ballistic training, so body weight or external objects. Um, 
jumping, throwing, strikes, just lightweight, light loads, moving fast and sort of focusing more on that concentric part of the stretch shortening cycle. Yeah, and you think that's probably what we're doing as young kids, aren't we? All the time we're jumping off stuff, landing on stuff, um, jumping onto things, um, sprinting, throwing balls, uh, baseballs, cricket bats. We're actually, we've been doing this naturally since we're quite young, mm. if you're a, a kind of a sporting person. So that, that that's very simple to do. And um, it's something you don't need any equipment and you probably do it as part of your normal sports training as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. And the next one is plyometric training. So it's a great way to develop power. And that plyometric is doing multiple jumps, multiple counter movement jumps or broad jumps and stuff like that. And it's just a great way to learn how to apply force and absorb force and then, yeah, really become powerful. Yeah, I can remember um, at uni, you go back to some of their power training. You can go back to when the ancient Greeks were doing plyometrics and jumping different things for their events so it goes back thousands of years mm. um once you've got the ability to absorb a landing so you jump off something and you can control that then you move to the more repeat efforts where it's using the stretch shorten cycle and actually exploding and not control um you've got better control of that movement so you can make repeat jumps on the spot or it hops forward and so forth um mm. yeah absolutely Mm. there's no reason why you can't be doing that at the same time as uh, you start slowly um, building your strength up in the gym. Mm, totally. But the next one is doing some weight lifting. So using loads around 50 to 90% of your one RM doing some cleans and um, snatches as well. Yeah. And it, look, people um, think of power with weight lifting being, um, you know, the, the pinnacle, but it is a little bit slower than those other power methods that we mentioned, even like sled running and so forth like that. Or you get an old tire and tight to your, um, your waist and sprint. That's that's still power training in a, well, in a way, and that's faster than Olympic lifting. And yeah, Olympic lifting is not only great for confidence because you know, you're actually shifting some tin quickly, um, it gives you some deceleration ability as well when you're catching so you can absorb load. Um, yeah, there was a stage where I almost didn't do Olympic lifting, but it's sort of, I have brought that back a little bit, but more modified. We don't need to do, you know, um, squat cleans or anything like that. Yeah. Power cleans, hang cleans. I prefer starting things in hang positions so that you're starting in a, a more athletic position um, from a hang clean rather than from the ground. Um, those types of things so that it's really quick and dynamic. I love um, using the blocks it, as well in that hang position. That's a great, great exercise. Yeah. You have to be really turned on, switched on, bang, and then just go straight into it. Yeah, and you can produce force from shorter ranges. So you've really got to, you know, you haven't got this long range to actually create that force. You've got your hips in a shortened position and they've got to develop force really quickly, which is why a lot of sports, uh, you've got to make this force from, a very limited um, time frame and distance. So mm. if you're rocking backwards or you know taking your time to develop force, it's um, it doesn't translate over a lot of the time. Mm. I think one thing with Olympic lifting as well, from a coaching point of view, is it helps identify if anyone has any sort of niggles in their shoulders as well, or they're really tight and say their chest, or that they, they can't get that front rack position or anything overhead. I think it's a great area that athletes 
and yourself as a coach can identify that and, and work on that and hopefully build healthy shoulders and then more robust shoulders as well. Yeah, and then you, as you go down the season and stuff like that, everyone's got, uh, you know, finger niggles, wrist niggles and shoulders. Eventually, you'll you'll come from uh, not needing catches and stuff like that sometimes because people have do have genuine problems and you don't want to add to it. But um, in your in your times that you're not doing as much contact, brilliant. And if if people don't have those issues, you should definitely do it. But um, only mod you can modify it based on people's mm. needs as well. And that's the good thing about using those lips. Yeah. So the next point or consideration is individual develop the individual athlete's least developed factor contributing to maximal uh, maximal power sorry so is it their neural activation is it their muscle mass are they sort of slow velocity strength needs to be worked on or the high velocity strength or they're just rate of force development yeah and you can look at some ratios so you can look at um say a counter movement jump versus a squat jump um it you know, there's different ways if you've got force plates or even if you've got a gym aware or something like that, you can look at the jump height and then um, uh, actually I'll, I'll pass on the formula. You can uh, type that in what they've got and you can give them whether they need a more force or more velocity based program. I would probably not go that far. I'd say the higher emphasis on exercises um, if they need more force um, or a higher emphasis on different exercises if they needed a bit more strength. So rather than just splitting it, you can only do force, you can only do strength-based, I'd look at um, increasing or decreasing ratios based on mm. those results. And if you don't have that technology, you can just sort of see that athlete's moving slow. <laughs> so let's do some more velocity stuff to get you a bit faster. Or, wow, this guy's actually really, really quick. So let's continue to work on that, but let's also do some um, force stuff as well. So yeah, you can just use your coaching eye or, if you see your teammate just moving a bit slowly, hey, maybe you should do some more velocity-based movements. Yeah, if they can shift some good tin, but um, they get about four centimetres off the ground when they do a counter-movement jump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and depending on their position, if they need a lot more power, you're going, uh, cool, maybe let's uh, do a bit more jumping, mate, because you can shift in. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> And the next one is making sure that you're using numerous power training techniques and techniques and methods as well. Yeah, variety. Variety is king. When you're trying to stimulate the central nervous system, you've got to give it new challenges. Like once people do take a little while to learn, don't think of it as a skill. Mm. So when people learn and catch pass, it actually takes a little bit of time. Some of your jumping and plyometric type of work and power work is a real skill acquisition because it's, trying to synchronize the motor units in a certain way and um, all the mechanics to actually get a powerful outcome. But once they've done that, you've got to, you know, add some stimulations and challenges. And, mm. you know, if, if they're finding it really easy to do, maybe you need to um, challenge your coordination a little bit more. Mm, totally. So now we're going to move on to how do athletes and coaches program power into the workouts? So we're going to use the considerations that we just talked about but then also some more considerations um, from a coaching standpoint. So yeah, how do athletes and coaches program power into their workouts? Well, you've got to think um, what's the key thing for power um, and that's to be do it when you're fresher or if you can be the freshest because it's a central nervous system stimulation. You really, you know, if they come off the field and they've done a, say, 
you know, 8K session, are we going to get much power out of that? Okay. Can we, if, if that's the case, and you know that's going to be the case, maybe do it in the warm up of their field session and do their plyometric type of work so you're getting power at the front end of that. But the key thing is to do it at the beginning of your sessions when you're fresher and really well warmed up because it's explosive. You don't want to induce too much fatigue or anything like that because we want to get something out of it. Later on down the track, you can do some power endurance where you're challenging them, but that's you know, a couple of years down the track type of thing. You can do some power circuits. And the frequency at the front end of every gym session and the front end of every field session, I'd put some type of power work in there. Um, and once they start, you know, it's not even too advanced, you start contrasting, say, with something like a hang clean to a single leg hop movement or uh, a vertical jump. So you can try and prime the, the nervous system. So get more motor units firing in a similar type of movement. Uh, and then you take them to a more velocity-based movement and you're trying to get those motor units to switch on and fire quicker. So you've stimulated that movement from a force point of view, and then you try and actually get a similar movement, but make it as quick as possible, hopefully with that sort of priming effect or PAP effect that you've had. Mm. What's your views? Um, what's some tricks that you've used? Um, I think you've touched, touched upon it really well. It's yeah, just making sure that you're sprinkling it in into every session that you can. Um, observing something I mentioned before, observing the training. And if you're getting the athletes, say if you're a coach out in the field, 20 minutes after the start time, but they just did, I don't know, they just got smashed in that 20 minutes. Maybe you don't need to do it. You need, might need to do something else and just making sure you're observing training quite well. But yeah, if you can just sprinkle it into every single session and work on different things, but the athletes can see how they work together. Um, each piece of the puzzle works together and, and applies it back to this can apply it back to their sport. I think that's really, really good. And three points that I'll sort of make with programming power is you really got to understand your athletes training age and also their vocabulary, mm -hmm. as we talked about, because you're going to get some players, you just come out of nowhere and haven't really trained in the gym properly. So you might need to be starting them on a more basic level, whereas an athlete who's been around with you for a few years is should be well-developed in that, in that space. So making sure that you as the coach, but also athletes as well, making sure that if you're doing some extras or doing a training session and you brought along one of the new fellas um, from, the, from training and they're doing some plyometrics, maybe start them off with a bit more basic type of movements as well. But yeah, understanding training age, keeping it simple, earning the right to progress yourself. But it's also understanding what position you play and the requirements of that position as well. So a center, say, Len Ikatao is going to be doing a lot more or different movement patterns compared to Taniela Tupo. So it's, yeah, just making sure that you know what position and the requirements. And I, have you got any thoughts about that, Ben? Yeah, definitely. You, you think of... Um... You know, it, are they needing more single leg work? Are they needing more lateral work? Um, are they needing a cognitive process in that? So I can think of something very, very simple. Like rather than a box squat, you think for your back three guys, do a single leg box squat. So that they've actually, and that way you're making sure that they can use either leg. So if they're caught in a position where they're going to jump up for a high ball, um, they can do it off either leg. Okay. 
rather than a two-legged box jump, which doesn't really transfer to power for those positions. But yeah, great at first, brilliant, but go to single leg. Um, you can think of some of the, let's say, your tight five type of guys, some power stuff won't be made for them in very low positions and powering out. You think of defending near the line, say, when people are picking and driving, they've got to go from a low, a very low body height and without moving backwards at all, because you could be conceding some distance, they've got to shoot out and generate power. Um, would your backs need to do as much of that? Probably not. So they're the type of things when you mm. consider. So you start looking at the key parameters for each position. So you think of um, your lifters in a line out, you're going to do a lot more overhead push press type work, um, push press even where it's unstable, like you might have your, um, push press where there's bands and plates dangling around. So uh, they can do it suddenly, but overhead they can stabilize versus your line out jumpers who are going to be able to generate vertical force really quickly, but they can step into it from their right leg, left leg. They can step backwards and then jump, step forwards off one leg and jump or even twist into it. So they're the types of things that you play with for the power point of view. Mm. And I think another consideration when programming power is understand what what makes that athlete special if it is their power let's keep working on it um so knowing their strengths and individual weaknesses as well doesn't mean you can't work on the weaknesses but making sure that you understand that athlete is special because of this reason and i'm going to continue to develop that and not just put in a whole different program that doesn't keep developing that and works on their weaknesses instead yeah and that's exactly uh, what makes him um a point of difference or a, you know pick in a team make sure you maintain that and then what makes them a liability from a physical point of view you slowly bring that up as yeah, well totally hi everyone we just want to take a quick break from this episode we hope you're enjoying the episode so far and also all the content we have produced we appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far if you haven't already sign up to elite rugby snc newsletter today we provide you free exclusive content every single week to our subscribers. Please find the link in our bio. Remember to like, subscribe and share Elite Rugby SNC on all social media platforms to all your families and friends. Thanks again for your support. And now back to the episode. So when programming power, there's many different directions. So we've got our vertical component, horizontal, rotational and lateral. How are you programming that into the sessions? Yeah, let's probably look at how you do it um, from a progression point of view. So you're probably going to go, let's say, let's look purely at um, horizontal, okay? At first, you're going to get someone to do something like a broad jump where they jump out, land, okay? Then what you might do from that is then you go out to uh, a triple jump, broad jump, where they multiple broad jumps and land. Then you take that out to a single leg broad jump, land, then you take it out to a, a multiple um, broad jump on one leg and have a landing. Then you might start taking it up to things where it's not just vertical, uh, horizontal, you start adding things like hurdles with different heights. So they might do a broad jump up to it and then a couple of hurdles and then land on one leg. So you're adding to the complexity all the time as you do that. So you've got control, then uh, control with double leg, then you've got control with single leg, then you've got control multiple double leg, and then you're adding uh, a few different components. And then at the last stage, you'd actually start adding 
um, some type of cognitive decision that they do to which jump. So, you know, someone might yell out a number and they've got to jump to a certain number. We're doing multiple jumps and then land. So they've got to react and respond. So, but the, you can think of all the different directions, all the different things. You just go from simple to more complex to a decision-making complex would be the way to do it. Now, think of programming speed. Um, I always go sort of um, the word um, speed. So with only one E, you think of strength, power, explosive, dynamic. So have they got the strength to do it? Have they got the power? Are they explosive, which is a repeat effort? And dynamic is um, multiple different things in a dynamic decision-making methodology. So that's when I'm, I'm thinking of plyometrics, speed, or power training. I'm thinking speed as my acronym that I remember. Oh, that's a good little acronym you got there. I like it. Yeah. I've got one for uh, if you've got time for sprinting too. It's grace, pace, race, chase. So uh, you develop the skill, uh, then you develop, let them run fast, um, then you actually let them race each other, and then um, chase where they're chasing on different areas because um, then you start seeing their running mechanics um, change. And that can be chasing through obstacles and different things. So that's when I'm developing speed, it's, yeah, grace, pace, race, chase. Hmm. How important is the lateral and rotational aspect of, of developing power? You can't change direction without it, can you? So absolutely. Um, and you think of uh, the lateral component is the way that you direct force. So if you, you can run up, just say I was running at you, if I can move laterally at 45, without losing any speed and make you have to adjust for a tackle and get my inside foot down just before contact, before you um, uh, get any, I guess, of your body on me. I've made you, set you down. I've not lost any speed. I've gone lateral, but forward it's at pace. So um, it's, it's highly important. That's what you need. You, you don't want to be running into brick walls. It's not South Africa in the 1990s where they ran at people. You've actually got to, create um, decisions and put people in poor positions when they tackle you. So mm -hmm. lateral is, if you can't go laterally um, in some positions, you, you know, you, you're just going to beat yourself up. Mm. What's maybe, your thoughts? Sorry, before I take over. Yeah. Maybe you do have to run at me to see this, you know, let's, let's have that challenge. Eh? Let's see who wins um, that, that one-on-one -on -one battle. <laughs> Any day. All right. All right. You heard it here first, everyone. You heard it here first. No, it's, it's, it's definitely important. I think it can get a bit forgotten um, when training and programming. I think a lot of people focus more on just vertical force and forget that everything's really happening. It's more of that horizontal, but lateral. And then the rotational parts coming into just a lot of passing. Can you pass really effectively, but then being able to stay square when running really, really fast? Um and yeah, it just, it just comes into a lot of aspects that yeah, people just forget rotational and that lateral. And it's, it's yeah, extremely important. I think we definitely got to develop it and don't forget about it when developing power. Uh, you think of rotation too, you're thinking contact. And for those that are watching on YouTube, if I grab and rotate quickly to actually fling you into a bad position, you need that rotational strength as well. Mm. So that's highly important. Um, and that's something where the gym setting done poorly 
it doesn't transfer over because it's very sagittal plane like this, like this. Mm. Um, it, there's a lot of coordination and movement involved with um, rugby. So if you can think of your strength and power training, a lot of it is that your, your contact work is actually strength and power. So it's the, the real, that's your real transfer. So you've got to add components of that as well. And if you're a good operator, you'll get people to do um, things like band running with a band just on one side so that they've got a fight force. So if they get hit, they can pull back down. So they're all the little subtleties that you start adding later on. Mm. And it's just even thinking about when you're on the deck after you just got tackled, can you then rotate your body back to place that bore? And um, yeah, just, just little things like that can really benefit from doing some rotational um, work in the gym. Yep, absolutely. So when programming for power, what are the sets and rep schemes that you're using? Yeah, that really depends. Um, and you hate that answer, but it's going to be low volume. Um, so low reps. So, you know, one out to five would be about the max in reps. And, and the set numbers can be varied. So it could be anywhere from two to six. But I'd, I tend to use more of the, you think, uh, about one, you know, anywhere from one to five, probably lower, one to threes, and no more than four and five sets. I wouldn't use too much more of that. And, you know, it might use two or three exercises, and that would be it because it's um, a highly neural stimulating area, and you don't want to create fatigue so that the body can actually, um, I guess, develop that coordination and understanding. Um, it's something you should not fatigue yourself in uh, when you're trying to develop. Mm, which totally. is great because how fun is that so a popular method when doing power is contrast training so lifting something heavy let's say above 80 percent, and then straight into a power exercise how have you used this in your coaching yeah um i probably haven't gone as high as 80 um like for a, a one rm there so i'd probably more go the more a force based power movement so you think of like a counter movement jump whether a barbell or trap bar could be some form of um, something like a hang clean or a hang snatch, that type of work. Then going to more a really ballistic body weight activity like jumping and so forth or single leg hops or even um, a sled sprint or a banded run. Um, that's what I'd use it for. Tend not to use so much of the strength. I think... Um, to give you an idea, when I first learned about this, we're going back to, I think it's the 2000, so like 2001, even before that. So it's been used for a long time. Uh, people have rebranded it as French contrasting. Mm. It was never called that. <laughs> um, so it, it's been around for a very, very long time. And it's really efficient and really effective. That's where you lose use some low sets and reps. So it might be two, three reps, um, and the same with the secondary exercise, and then a long rest, and you repeat that. Mm. Tend not to go into the using three different ones. I just think you you lose a little bit from a fatigue point of view. That's probably why I don't use as heavy as well, because um, it's more strength orientated. Then, and I, I don't think you get you get more. Uh, and this is just my theory. You get more of the flow twitch sort of stimulation and more after the so the fast twitch neural drive central motor system really ramped up and then putting it in um, a very fast movement hmm. how about you how have you used it yeah i think i've used it very similar in, in the way that you just said 
it's picking a, an, an exercise such as a, as a loaded jump. So a counter movement jump with a barbell on the back and then straight into either just non-weighted vertical jump or doing a horizontal type base jump. It's yeah, doing a loaded version and then doing a non-loaded version. And it's making sure that I'm targeting some different uh, directions, but they complement each other really well, those exercises. And it's not fatiguing the athlete. It's just making them feel powerful and really alert and explosive. And I think a lot of young coaches and athletes as well can just think, yeah, I'm going to do a power session, but they do so many reps and sets. So we'll do a tri set. And I think if you're doing a tri set and you get to that third exercise, I think you're just gone. Um, I think two is probably the max that you want to do if you're doing a contrast set or just even power if you're doing back-to-back -back ex exercises yeah you can do it but it's just as you touched upon you, you got to make sure that you're not too fatigued and your power output doesn't get diminished too much because if it gets diminished and you're not really targeting that power and probably getting the benefits that you want from those exercises in that session as well so comes back to what you've been saying at the start make sure we do it at the, at the beginning of the training session after a really good warm-up and just do exercise that gets the best bang for your buck and is changing or sorry using different directions challenging the athlete and yeah just progressing when you need to yeah i agree so do i need to be training power or sorry do i need to be doing power training for my upper, upper body as well if so what does that look like yeah, interesting. Uh, if you want a powerful upper body, I would. Um, we've probably mentioned that earlier things like it could be um, a lot of the display of power is synchronization of your lower body, your trunk, and then your upper body. So you think of a push press, you're actually using your lower body transfers through your trunk, arm, bang, and then powerful with your arm. So to just display power in a game, you, you need an anchor point, and that's your feet on the ground. So to have a really good fend, you, you've got the strength and balance in your lower body going through your core and then fending out on someone. So yeah, you, your upper body is the last component. You can be doing standing single leg bands and then press out okay, while you're you know, catching a football and power out. Um, there's a whole lot of different things you can be doing. And also sometimes it's just getting a lighter weight and shifting it fast in a traditional lifting movement. Um, mm. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I'll, it's it's definitely important for that fending and even just hookers just being powerful in your throw as well. If you want to try and get a bit more distance and act uh, power when throwing to that back ball, I really love using uh, med ball throws. Just something different to the athlete if they're punching it, if they're doing it more like a rugby pass. Also, have used landmine punches in the past as well, so because we didn't really have access to med balls. So I was like, okay, what's another way that we can teach my athletes how to produce force from the ground up and then apply it. And they're doing some uh, landmine punches was quite effective. And the, the lads loved it as well, doing it. It was kind of fun and was just really cool to see that barbell move. Just be careful when doing it as well. Um, but yeah, doing stuff like that is really cool. As you said, generating force from the ground up to then either fend someone, but also bump someone off with your upper body as well um, is is it's definitely really important so if i become more powerful in the gym does that mean i'm going to become more powerful on the field not necessarily but you've got a high chance but it's 
that crossover. And we've probably talked earlier about the gym environment being, you know, sagittal plane, all different things. What it does is it, it gives you a better engine. So an engine that can produce strength and power, but you've got to really put it into some contact work so that you can uh, then coordinate it into a more meaningful, uh, I guess, skill that you can develop. So at the end of the day, you could do as much speed, power and strength work that you want. If you don't have a PhD in your sport and your skills, that's not going to happen. So you've got to, you, you're adding potential to do that well. You know, just because someone can do a power clean doesn't mean they can run through contact. Probably yep. actually hardly likely that they can. Yep, totally. And I don't want to add anything on to that answer because I think you got it perfect. Not that you're perfect. I mean, it's just the answer was perfect. All right. The answer was okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is an exercise or exercises? utilized in the gym that athletes should be or sorry underutilized in the gym that athletes should be doing i really like uh, i think something that's underutilized is um some really long bands and standing vertical core work in dynamic situations um and you we can some trunk integrity type of work mm. we used to call it um so you're standing big bands out multiple different directions fast movements I think that transfers over some of your strength work into more coordinated um, areas. I would say that would be one. And also, so using like a back extension or a GHD where you're locking your core in and pressing plates overhead, rotating and pressing out, um, it gives you the ability to have a strong trunk to transfer that um, power that you've got in your upper body and lower body. I'd say that would be the most underutilized, but probably a really good bang for buck in terms of your trying to get that transfer from gym to the field environment. What's your thoughts? For me, it's more the, the horizontal work. So pushing some sleds, if that's in a march position or just a full sprint, I think that's, that's what Mike Boyle um, has touched upon. He's just like, um, sleds are horizontal Olympic lifts and he, he thinks you should be using them more. And, yeah, love doing the sled work. I think it's a really underutilized exercise. I think doing broad jumps, but also doing a banded and single leg and doing multiple hops going in that horizontal direction. And also one that's bread and butter of our program is band acceleration work. So having a band anchored down and then accelerating out as far as you can and adding a sidestep into that as well and just being really strong and stable. I think that's really underutilized. So if you were going to ask me how I would describe rugby, predominantly it's a horizontal power sport. That's what it is. Mm. It's um, a horizontal power sport where you were trying to gain territory through speed or power. And so, yeah, horizontal mm. is, I see it as absolutely fundamental. It is, that's what the sport is. So mm. I totally agree with that. Yep. So now we have our fan question. So Josh Riley, he sent through an image which has a quote on it. And the image is of uh, Finn Russell, who's um, Scottish Rugby Union player, has played 62 caps for Scotland and one test for the British Irish Lions. And he currently play, plays for racing uh, 92 in France. So he says in, in the in relation, so he says in the quote in relation to comments about his body image. So I'm a rugby player, a fly half, not a bodybuilder. My job is not to push hard in the scrum or overtake the opponent on the wing. The important thing for me is the psychological side. It's about, it's about staying happy on and off the field. This is how I practice my best rugby. My body doesn't matter to me. 
Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. And let's probably sort of pull that apart a little bit. Rather than saying he's probably copped some grief about a body image where some people on um, social media and the, in the media can be, you know, they have a certain view of what is athletic performance. Um, and, you know, he, he's proved that he's quite good at, at rugby. So the way I'd like to say it is um, to be at that elite level, you need a PhD in being a fly half, right? He's got that. But where the strength and conditioning comes down to is your reliability and your resilience to not break down in a game and to tolerate high training loads so that you can become a better and more skillful operator and do it in fatigue in games. So, yeah, he doesn't, he should, a bodybuilding program is not a rugby program. A rugby program is not a bodybuilding program. Um, he doesn't have to push in scrums no but he will have to clean out and tackle and do things so he does need some type of work there um so what's your views on this at the moment yeah it's 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 definitely a tough situation um for him if, if people are commenting on his body and it's, it's it's really hard being at a professional level and people saying that especially if he's in towards the back end of his career when he's maybe earned the right a little bit to be a bit heavier who knows because he's really smart in how he plays but if you want to have a long lasting career and being and to be able to play at that high level you're going to need to do a really good snc program a rugby snc program not a bodybuilding or powerlifting program and that will help complement your game but be able to play at that high level and just be available every single week and probably prevent a lot of little niggles from a from progressing into long-term injuries as well. And I think players such as like, say, Dan Carter, he played, or Matt Guido, they've taken very good care of their bodies over their careers and have played a very long time at a fly half or a number 10 position. And yeah, they're probably not as explosive as they were when they were younger, but they can just keep showing up and producing and, and performing at really high levels. So I think you you got to make sure that psychological side of rugby, it's really important. you got to make sure that you're happy on and off the field. But I think being happy on and off the field is also having a functioning body, is to be able to get up and do the things that you want to do on the field and off the field as well. And if you're letting yourself go a bit, then your just quality of life after rugby probably won't be the be as as good as you would probably want it to, want it to be. Yeah. And look, I don't think we should definitely get away from body shaming. If he can uh, run, stay up with the pace, make tackles, and um, you know he's not a liability in defence because he's weak, brilliant. Okay, what his body looks like is another matter. Mm. How his body performs and what it is it an asset for him or a liability is the more important question. Mm. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, and. Yeah, that's everything we've got on that. So thank you, for Josh, for sending that through. It's a great, great topic of conversation. And if anyone has any more questions for us to answer, please send them through. So that's our episode for today. Thanks for, for joining us today. And, and thank you, Ben. Yeah, thank you, Kieran. Another fantastic episode. Really, really enjoyed that. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of Elite Rugby SNC Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram. Sign up to become a beast today via the link in the description or via our Instagram page. Also remember to sign up to our newsletter and receive free bonus content each and every single week. 
So don't wait, make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SNC today and take your game to the next level. So thank you everyone for listening and thank you Ben for joining in today. Thank <laughs> you.